I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. Today I'm talking about playing of course, that's what I'm always talking about, but I'm talking about playing with infants. So the baby babies, often we're talking about playing with young children, you know, that mid-childhood stage and even adolescence. But I had a really interesting message from somebody who was about to become a parent and they were saying, you know, I really love the idea of play. I really understand it. I get it. But I'm a bit worried I won't know how to play with my baby, you know, because they can't, you know, hold things or do things or interact with things. What will I do? And I would say, actually, you're playing with your baby from pregnancy onwards and playing with babies is so important and essential. So I thought I would really drill into that a bit today and talk about how do we play with our babies. And I want you to think back to that time, you know, when your baby is still, you know, in utero, still within you. And one of the things that we do, and sometimes, let's be honest, it's about weight distribution, hip to hip, but at different stages of pregnancy. But if you're rocking back and forth, you're introducing a lovely swaying rhythm already. We rub our tummies, we might hum, we might sing, we might talk, we speak to our babies. We are engaging and playing with our babies before they're even born. And that is exactly as it should be. Our babies are born into a bath of sensation. Okay, they come into the world and it's all about touch and light and sound and noise. There's a whole sea of sensation about them and around them. And what we do is we hold and contain them within that. Do you know, it's really interesting when we think about early attachment formation and about babies and how quickly they can and do attach to their important caregivers. Brain scans, you know, MRIs of the brain have shown a synchrony between the brain scan of a mother and her newborn baby so that you could almost lie those scans on top of each other as mirror images. And what we know from neuropsychiatric research like that is that babies are born neurologically wired to attach to their mothers. Now look, with lots of reasons, and there, there's always people have stories and life happens to all of us, so there's no judgment here. We all do, I really believe, the very best that we can. But if it might not be the same experience from a mother's point of view. Maybe she's physically unwell and not available. Maybe there's something else going on. And in that instance, we look at who else is available. So we, I don't want this to sound like it's all on the mother. The other attachment figures in a child's life, their other parent, you know, grandparents, their immediate family are all so important. And even when it is about mom and baby at this stage, mom can only be that emotionally available to her baby when she's got her support network around her. So the role of the other attachment figures are as active from the very beginning. And I really want to emphasize that within the first few hours of life, your baby can pick out your eyes. They can latch on and see your eyes. It's why we hold them in the nook of our arm quite close to our face, because the proximal optimal piece for them to see us is, you know, it's not that far. So we bring them up to, uh, to our faces and we look at them and we look at them intently and we say hi and we move our mouths and we are doing movement with our facial expressions because while they identify our eyes within a few hours, quite soon after that, it's moving to other features of our faces. They are fascinated with us and we are fascinated with them. And that's how we build our connection. But that attachment is happening 
within moments of life. They are born wired to attach to us. And we have all of that lovely oxytocin coursing through us, that love hormone, and it's a lovely moment. Generally speaking, I want to put that in here, generally speaking, it's not lovely for everybody. And there's so many other variables that are going on here. But just from a baby's point of view, they're seeking that attachment from the beginning. Think now about that codependent stage of development, that which is simply put that nook of the arm time or the so-called fourth trimester, you know, where your baby doesn't even yet know that they're a separate being to you. You've heard that phrase, his or her majesty, the baby. That's what it's about. It's about we are one and the same. And when you look at me with love, I don't see you, but I see myself reflected through you. And I'm getting a reinforced message on a loop that I'm lovable. I'm deserving of love. I am deserving of love and lovable. And I get that and I get that. And as I separate out, you know, I begin to form those same attachments and seek to elicit those same responses from other people in my attachment network. I am already beginning to develop a sense of self that is secure and healthy attached. And that's what's going to keep me grounded and learning. And it's my baseline from which all other growth and development will come. And I have spoken about this in a previous episode, so that's why I'm going quite quickly through it now. But just again, to remind you in this context that in the first year of life, zero to 12 months, the first attachment cycle is running when our babies have needs. I mean, don't they just to be fed, to be changed, to be picked up, to be rocked? They indicate their need the only way they can, which is by crying. Our baby's cry is their first attempt to communicate something with us. We then come in and we respond to that need. We make them feel better. We change them. We rock them. We soothe them. And they get gotten and feel felt in that exchange. And trust emerges in our relationship. Through repeated experience, our young babies know, oh, and it doesn't feel nice. I'm just going to cry. And I can anticipate with certainty that you're going to come in and make me feel better. Ah, I trust you to meet my needs. I am developing a secure, healthy attachment with you. The second cycle is about boundaries and limits, something I often mention on this podcast, boundaries and limits, because, you know, while our children, you know, thank you for those boundaries, said no child ever, they do thank us in how they live and grow and thrive. They need boundaries to feel safe. And this is the 12 to 24 month attachment cycle. Now that you've met my needs, I'm hitting you with my wants. I want stuff. I want it now. I don't do delayed gratification. I have no impulse control. I just want it. And it's up to us then to gently yet firmly say, I hear hear your want, but my answer is no. No, you can't have chocolate. No, you can't have this. No, we're not going out. Now we have to go to the car. Whatever it is, I'm saying the no and your child will accept most unlikely, test or defy more likely that limit. You know, they'll tantrum, they'll shout, they'll stomp, they'll cry. They'll let us know I am displeased with what you have done. It's what we do next. That might be parentally unpleasant, but it's very normal. We hold our boundary and by holding the boundary, at least most of the time, by the way, sometimes you do give in and that's okay. You pick your battles with a toddler, Uh, but by holding it mostly most of the time, we actually are communicating to them that it's okay for them to want stuff, but it's not up to them. If they get it, it is up to their safe, trusted adult in charge and we will ensure that they and the situation do not get out of control and we are instilling that sense of felt safety, that structure and running between attachment cycle one and two is object to people permanence. And again, this is important in terms of that question, how do I play with my baby? Object permanence is... You play with it in terms of you you wave something in front of your baby's face, like a teddy bear. You say, oh, look at Teddy. And then you quickly hide Teddy behind your back. Teddy's gone. 
And your child's like, what? That's insane. Where did Teddy go? And you quickly bring Teddy back and their little mind is blown. It's like magic. Oh my goodness, Teddy was here, then he was gone, now he's back again. And we repeat this and repeat this and they're thrilled by it. Until the day, through repeated experience, that they lean around and see, oh, he's not gone. You're hiding him behind your back. Teddy still exists even when I don't see him. That's about object permanence. That then transfers to people. When I initially don't see you, you cease to exist. That's very scary for me. You know, any parent of a newborn child who's ever tried to get to the toilet in peace or had a shower, my God, the privilege of a shower, you know, on their own, it doesn't happen because when they don't see us, we cease to exist and that's very scary for them. So they cry and eventually we just drag the bouncer or the baby chair or whatever it is into the bathroom and we surrender our right to privacy for that period of time but they're learning that we're forever and how do you play with that so you might do the teddy thing for the object but when it's people it's called you know concealment and discovery play but actually what that means is peekaboo we're here we're gone we're here we're gone we do peekaboo with our hands we cover our faces and we reappear we cover their faces and then take them away and we build up to maybe hiding under a blanket and they pull the blanket off us and find us there you are there you are there you are. You know, one of the things I've, I've talked about previously in, in a podcast episode about touch is really about doing things like hand stack and building in the opportunity for that peekaboo. You're gone, you're back as your hands go up and down. We're always playing with this. So opportunities for play with young children are there, but they tend to be a real back to basics approach for me. And that's something I really want to talk to you about. We play with the prosody of our voice. How we talk to our babies is playful. We use a lilting up and down, that undulation, that use of pitch, pace and pause and tonality of our voice, the very prosody. That's playful. You might be walking down the stairs with your baby and maybe because you've no one else to talk to, you're narrating your day out loud. We'll go outside. We're going to see this. We might see a doggy. Your baby will coo in response or make some kind of a guttural gurgly noise. And you'll interpret it and say, you're right. It's very cold. We better put our hats on. And you have that lovely serve and return exchange between us. That is playing. That is playful. Okay, uh, using phoneme. Phoneme is a word to to describe sounds that have meaning. So with our young children, when something drops or falls, you know, when they're getting into that stage where you make up a stack of blocks and either they knock them or you knock them down for them if they're not yet able, you know, they look at you with shock. It fell down and you say, "Uh oh, and you make sense of what they have thought and felt in that moment. But they know in the sound, uh-oh, something has happened. In fact, you know, Chris Houghton is a writer, a children's book writer, who's written beautiful books. And he, I think he does phoneme really well for children. He has one where, you know, most of the words are shh or uh-oh, George, and a few others like that. So that's well worth looking at. I love his little books for, for the use of phoneme for young children. You play with your face with your baby. You do big facial expressions. You wiggle your eyebrows, you wink, you blink, you might do pop cheeks, puff out your cheeks and pop them, do it to yourself, do it to yourself, model doing it on them even when they're not able to puff out their cheeks so they feel a part of that. You puff out your cheeks and you bring their hands to your face so that they feel they're making the sound and the noise come out. We play musical faces, we do beep honk, 
You might touch your nose and make it beep, touch your chin and make it honk, touch your ear and make it quack, touch your other ear and make it meow, or zoom or zip, anything like that. Um, and you do it on your own face. Again, you can take their little baby hand and bring it into your facial features so they feel that they're eliciting that noise. And then through repeated experience, you, you do it to them and you make a noise from their face and they think that's what's happening. So you can play with your voice. You can play with your face and you can play with your body because dancing, swaying, all of that is a lovely way to play with your baby. Sitting them on your lap and holding the, you know, your hands around their back up to the back of their head and looking at them closely and saying hello and then dipping them safely backwards and saying goodbye. You get a break in connection and bringing them back up. Reconnection. Hello. And back. So you dip them up and down, up and down, building up into bouncing them on your knee like a horsey, horsey, don't you stop. Just let your feet go clippity clop. Your tail goes swish and the wheels go round. Giddy up, we're homeward bound or any little horsey game like that. Any rhyme that you know is fine. Pat a cake, patting their hands or feet together is all gorgeous, lovely, rich, play that is going to support your baby's development in those early weeks, months and two years of life. So I would say, you know, forget the whizzy, whirry, flashy, noisy toys and props and see yourself as the best play prop that your baby will have. There's so many ways of doing it, um, but I like to keep it quite simple and hold in your mind that some of that you'll go, great, I could do that with my six month old. I could do that with, you know, my slightly older child. Actually, you can do variations on it with every child. But with your newborn, your brand new baby, to ensure that you are doing some type of play every single day with them, hold in mind this question. Did I toes and nose my baby today? If you toes and nose your baby every day, you're playing. Add in a song, add in a rhyme, and you're playing even more. By toes and nose, what I mean is you take their little toes and you nibble on them, you kiss on them, you blow on them, you count them, you this little piggy them, you do something with their toes. And then you bring your face safely in, safely and gently, don't lunge in, safely and gently into their face and you rub your nose to their nose side to side or you just touch noses very gently. If you toes and nose your baby, you're playing. So I hope that's given you lots of encouragement about how to play with your baby, but also why to play with your baby. Because if we can create that playful connection and play-based relationship from those early days of life, we are setting a trajectory for us and our children that allows us to keep playing with them. And it instills in us that we know each other, we connect with each other, we feel each other through play. And always remember that play is the language of children. And that language starts from those first moments of life. So have fun with it and play with your baby. Please, please play with your babies. Enjoy it. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting. <laughs>